Thank you, Marty. Fellow students, if you would turn to Revelation 18 uh, and get your spurs on, we're going to ride this horse really quickly. We're going to try and get through the entire chapter today. Uh, I'm sick and tired of judgment and wickedness and evil. When you read Revelation next week, we're going to get to the advent of Jesus Christ and we're going to get to the good stuff when the king comes back and takes over his planet. So in Revelation, we obviously know that uh, God has told us the end of the story in advance to encourage our faith, number one, and to declare his sovereign control of all things. As most of you know, the book of Revelation really unveils not the future so much as Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. It is really the story of how Almighty God is going to repossess his planet from the usurper Satan. He's going to judge wickedness and wicked ones. And when Jesus returns to earth, he's going to establish his king on planet earth and rule over his world from Jerusalem. We're going to get to that next week. Chapter 6 through 16, where we've been for the last several months, remember talks about the three cycles of judgment that God imposes on planet earth to purge it and to cleanse it and to prepare it for his coming. The seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, the seven bowl judgments, we've been through those. Last week we walked through chapter 17, which is a description of the false religious system that Satan operates during the seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. Today we're going to hopefully get through chapter 18, which is the final and complete destruction of Babylon. Babylon, remember, is both a false religious system and it's also a false political and economic world empire that's run by the Antichrist. And Babylon is also a literal city. So when you see Babylon, it means religious, it means commercial, it means political, it means an empire, and it's a physical, tangible city on the Euphrates River. Here's the key idea for today. Pride deceives you into believing that you can live independently from God. Pride deceives you into believing that you can live independently from God. Most of us struggle this at least daily. Most of us struggle with it hourly because the nature of the human heart is to put us at the center instead of putting Jesus Christ at the center. This chapter is a record of how people put themselves at the center instead of putting God at the center and the outcome of that. Verse 1, after these things, metatauta, that means a new vision. John is getting another vision. I saw another angel coming down from heaven. Underline these, having great authority... And the earth was illumined with his glory. Now this is a different angel than the one who showed John the great harlot in last chapter 17. This angel's on a separate mission from heaven. And he's described as having great authority and great power. Glory. Remember, at this time, after the fifth bowl judgment, the earth is shrouded in darkness. There is no light. I don't know how God is going to block the sun, but the fifth bowl judgment is intense darkness planet-wide. So we have a blackout at this point in time until this angel shows up like a lightning bolt, if you will. Uh, the blackness is shattered by an angel whose glory is so bright it says it illumines the entire earth. You have one angel coming from him and illuminating the entire earth. It's kind of like waking up from the sound sleep and looking directly into the sun. It's going to blind you at that point. And it struck me this week that this must be what the shepherds felt like outside of Bethlehem on Jesus Christ was born. It says, suddenly the heavens were filled with a multitude of the heavenly hosts. They must have just been snow blind. You know, just two, this brilliant, brilliant heavenly light. That's what's going on here. This angel, verse 2, cries out with a mighty voice and says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. 
And she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. So this angel is not only extraordinarily mighty and loud and light, he's got a voice like thunder. This announcement, this angel is not only seen around the world, this angel is heard around the world. Can you imagine the seismic waves? Can you imagine the sonic boom? How many of you were kids? They used to do this. We used to hear sonic booms, airplanes that come over and shatter things. I don't know what this angel is going to sound like, but if the voice is heard planetary wide, the sound is going to have to be enormous and the light's going to have to be like the sun. So come straight from heaven to earth to make this announcement. The imminent doom of Babylon. In scripture, you never, seldom you will see an exclamation mark for emphasis. In scripture, if something's emphasized, it's usually repeated, right? So here it says, fallen, fallen, twice. The angel repeats this for emphasis. Now Babylon's destruction had been predicted before multiple times in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, two parallel twin passages. It's all about the destruction of Babylon. And portions of those passages were in fact fulfilled in 539 when Babylon fell the first time. This is the final, complete, permanent termination of Babylon as an entity, and that's what's being predicted. And this angel says, this place, Babylon, is a dwelling place of demons, unclean spirits, unclean birds, habitation of, of demons. Now, anytime in scripture you see an unclean bird or an unclean animal, it's always a picture of evil, right? If you see an unclean animal or bird, it's a picture of unclean uh, spiritual reality at that point in time. Some translations, I don't know what your Bible says, it may not say dwelling place. Some translations use the word haunt or prison or residence instead of dwelling place. So you might have that in your translation. Remember, the, the, the city of Babylon at this point in time is the capital city of the Antichrist empire. Remember, we found out chapters ago that at least 200 million demons were released by four angels at the Euphrates River. So it's pretty logical that this city, the capital city of the Antichrist, is inhabited with millions and millions and millions of demons. So it's a habitation of wickedness on planet Earth. Verse 3 is going to tell us the reason for Babylon's complete destruction. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. So the reason Babylon is going to be destroyed is because she's been polluting the planet where they're moral filth for centuries. Remember last week we talked about the Tower of Babel? Tower of Babel. After the flood of Noah, it was the first human habitation that was the beginning of organized idolatry. Now people have been worshiping idols probably since Cain, all right? But organized on a national basis, Babel was the first time that occurred. So God confused their language, dispersed them to the four corners of the earth, and they took their idolatrous practices with them around the world. Idolatry is a little bit like an infectious disease. It can spread on contact. Uh, some of the most communicable diseases are those which are spread by airborne. I realize, you know, we're in a period of cold and flu and coughing, etc., etc. So you can contract the common cold, strep throat, whooping cough, pink eye pretty easily. Either airborne contact or physical contact is a communicable disease. But they're usually non-lethal. To stop the spread of the common cold, what do we say? Wash your hands, right? Keep your hands away from your face and your eyes. 
And above all else, avoid close contact with infected people. Pretty tough when you sleep with them, right? You can pass colds back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So communicable diseases, physical communicable diseases, generally are caught on contact of one kind or another. Uh, some diseases are so dangerous, like Ebola, that our strategy for dealing with them is we simply quarantine the patient, right? You are going to restrict contact with someone who has Ebola because it is so deadly and so communicable at that point in time. Now, physical disease is caught on contact. We're talking about idolatry. Spiritual disease is both inherited and it's chosen and it's influenced by contact as well. See, all humans have the DNA of sin hardwired into them from conception onward. Scripture tells us everyone is what? Born in sin. We inherited from our parents, Adam and Eve. No one's immune. Everybody's got the disease. And unfortunately, it's a terminal condition. Sin kills what percent of its victims? 100%. Jesus' sin separates us from God, the source of life, and so we all physically and spiritually die. Now, there is a solution. It's not a human solution. As you know, it's a divine solution. Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for our sin, and he's the only antidote for this terminal condition called sin. But it's not automatic. There is human choice involved. Christ died for all, all sinners, for the world, but there is a choice to receive that salvation, to humble yourself and accept that it's going to be on the basis of His grace and not your works. Babylon has chosen to reject that for centuries. Babylon is the archetypal, satanic, idolatrous system of worshiping anything other than God, and that's why she's being judged. It says the kings of the earth committed immorality with this Babylonian system. Now in scripture, immorality is often a metaphor for idolatry. When you see immorality in scripture, it's a picture, not just a physical immorality, but it's a metaphor for idolatry. And God likens idolatry to cheating on your spouse, your marriage spouse. Because our relationship with God, just like our marriage covenant with our spouse, is what? Exclusive. Exclusive, right? That's why polytheism is madness. It is literally madness, worshiping more than one God, and that's why God is so angry with idolatry, because idolatry will kill you, because idolatry will separate you from the source of life, which is Jesus Christ, amen? amen? That's why God is so serious about this. So spiritual idolatry, which is worshiping anyone or anything other than God, is like physical adultery. It breaks the covenant, and it destroys the relationship, and Babylon was guilty of both. And so God is going to deal with her. Special attention is paid to the kings of the earth. These are leaders, political and governmental leaders, who are held especially accountable because their influence is so indicative and their responsibility is so powerful for those they rule. Babylon is both a physical city and Babylon's a satanic, political, and religious system, and God indicts both because they didn't restrain evil, they actually promoted it. They actually taught it. They actually modeled evil practices. See, one of the functions of government in Romans 13 is to restrain evil. You want to know what the government's job is? That's job one from God's perspective. Restrain evil. These governmental entities and kings, nation states, etc. weren't restraining evil. They were promoting evil. They were leading people into sin. God says, I can't have that. You're going to kill these people by your modeling. They're not the only ones indicted. The second ones that modeled are merchants. Merchants are business and financial tycoons that profit from people's sin. Now, if you're making money from sin, it's pretty tough to discourage it, correct? 
because it's putting money in your pocket. There's a mutual fund on Wall Street that used to be called the Vice Fund. The Vice Fund. Well, they've changed the name. It didn't go over too well. It's called the Barrier Fund. I guess the barrier to honesty and truth and what is good. But anyway, it invests in what Wall Street's calls sin stocks. Sin stocks. This would be things like tobacco. Gambling. We don't longer call it gambling. We call it gaming, right? How innocuous. We're going to go gaming, right? Alcohol and weapons. Weapons are a pretty good bet because war isn't going in a way anytime soon. Right now, there's actually serious, legitimate proposals to legalize, regulate, and tax prostitution in order to raise tax revenue for government coffers. And you say, it'll never happen here. Folks, there's a whole lot of stuff that we said 40 years ago will never happen here, and it's happening, and it's going to continue to happen, and the spiral without God is going to circle a drain. You know that, correct? You know that. Because human goodness by itself is not human goodness at all. Government also got a very nice payday today out of this lottery winning, right? They take a very strong tax hit out of every lottery winning as well. So sin is big business. It's very profitable business because it's so addicting and it's so enslaving. Folks, I don't mean to be rude here, but we have met the enemy and they is us. We talk about merchants making money off sin in Babylon. We are making a lot of money off sin here in the United States and around the world today and it's only going to get worse. But the good news is... Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's going to clean house, okay? Just make sure you're in his will, because he will clean all evil, especially out of his children, because judgment starts where? With the household of God. So following the angelic announcement of judgment on Babylon, God has a message for his people, and a message for Babylon. Look at verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, this is God speaking to his people, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues. Verse 5, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Here's the principle. Don't live like the world. The world is following a deceptive direction into a disastrous destination. I got a thing for D's, I guess. Don't live like the world. The world is following a deceptive direction into a disastrous destination. Jesus talked about the broad road. The broad road, right? It's easy to walk on the broad road. What's the destination? The lake of fire, right? It's a deceptive direction. It's easy to walk, but it's very deceiving. Satan tells you, you follow me. You can have your way. You can do whatever you want. Oh, no. At the end of the day, hell doesn't give you freedom. Hell gives you bondage and slavery and pain and suffering. Heaven, God's way, is the way of freedom. So this voice of heaven is God himself calling to his people. And he's calling to his people. And he's saying, I want you to separate yourself from the physical city of Babylon and from the evil religious and political system that's in place there. Remember, God told Moses and Aaron to separate themselves from the children of Israel. The children of Israel had uh, the sin of Baal Peor, among other places. God says, get away from this congregation because I'm going to destroy them. And it's interesting. You know what Moses and Aaron did? They said they fell on their faces to intercede with God that he would not destroy his people. God was so angry with their sin. Remember Lot? Lot, Abraham's nephew. He was commanded to leave Sodom before God destroyed it, separate yourself, Lot, from Sodom before he destroyed it. Lot didn't want to leave Sodom. He was making too much money there. He was a city councilman in that wicked place. The angels had to literally take him by the hand and drag him out of town. 
before fire and brimstone came down. So these saints in the Babylon in tribulation era are commanded to leave Babylon because judgment's going to fall. God, Jesus also did that too in 38 years before it occurred. He told his followers, when you see the, the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem, get out of Dodge. Well, in AD 70, they destroyed the city. So God had warned them and those that believe Jesus saved their lives. This applies to us today. Very much so. There's, a, there's an old proverb that says what? Birds of a feather. Yeah. If you're a recovering alcoholic you're probably going to have to learn to make friends with sober people. Just a thought, right? If you want to stay clean, don't go swimming in the sewer, you know? We live in a sinful world, but we're not to live like the world lives, John 17. We are to take the gospel to the lost, right? So you're going to have to live around sinful people. That's, God has you around sinful people on purpose so you can bring the truth of the gospel to them. But you're not supposed to get infected with their sin. Helping someone get sober does not involve you getting drunk with them. Okay? For those of you that are wondering, that would not be a good strategy. Here's one that I, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, but here's one. If you can't manage money, don't buy lottery tickets. It will ruin your life. Three people have won lottery tickets. I will bet you even odds in five years their life is demonstrably worse demonstrably worse when you look at the track record on that much money without the wisdom. And this is just freebie for those of you that are doing wills and trusts and leaving money to your children. Don't leave them the wealth if you haven't left them the wisdom. Otherwise, the wealth will corrupt them. Leave them the wisdom first. And if they don't have the wisdom, don't leave them the wealth. They'll destroy it. And the wealth will destroy them. That's just free. So God says, separate from evil, and there's a twofold call here. One, live a morally pure life in the middle of a moral cesspool. And that's what our culture is. You're supposed to live a morally pure life. That doesn't mean you can't associate with the wicked. Jesus lived and went to dinner with tax gatherers and prostitutes, right? But second, sometimes this may involve physical separation from situations and people that will compromise your ability to follow Jesus. Someone says, come into the bar with me, or let's smoke a joint together. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, that is going to compromise my witness. I can't do that, right? So stay pure in the middle of that kind of a situation. God says, come out of Babylon because her sins have piled up. How high? As high as heaven. Now, the Greek word here is they're not just stacked on top of each other. They're literally joined together. These sins are glued together to make a pile. And the pile of sins is higher than Mount Everest because the mountain of sins is as high as heaven. That is a big stack of sins. Now, here's the truth. God doesn't overlook any sin. Many, many people think, well... I've sinned and I haven't gotten judged for it yet, so God may have forgotten. Maybe God has early onset dementia, right? And so he won't remember my sin. God doesn't overlook any sin. However, there are times when the magnitude of sin becomes so severe that God's holiness is going to act. Abel's blood, when Cain killed Abel, God says, Abel's blood has cried out to me from the ground. Sodom and Gomorrah's wickedness came up to God in heaven and he actually came down to provide judgment for them. 
Nineveh's wickedness came up before God, and now so is Babylon's, and God is going to judge at this point in time. Now, here's an interesting take. The saints now are exhorting God in verse 6 to punish Babylon. This is imprecatory praying. In the New Testament, not just the Psalms, they're calling God to provide judgment for these people. Verse 6. Pay her back. Ooh. Even as she had paid. And give her back double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. This almost sounds like brothers and sisters, you know. Somebody screwed up and one of the kids is going, hammer a mom, hammer You know, I mean... It, 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 this sounds childish, but there's something far more at stake here. One of the iron laws of God's universe is that causes create consequences. You might want to put that on your cupboard door sometime. Causes create consequences. I can make it more personal. Choices create consequences. Choices. All our choices have consequences. On the street, we say what goes around comes around. I used to work with ex-offenders, people coming out of prison, and that was a phrase you learned really quick. What goes around comes around. It's another way of saying what you sow, you reap. Right? What you put in the ground comes up at that point in time. God's justice here is always perfect. Revelation 22, Jesus said, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To render to every man, how? According to what he has done. Since, see now, God alone, Jesus alone, knows everyone's deeds perfectly, and therefore he alone is perfectly qualified to repay people with perfect justice. Here's the point. No one gets away with anything. Every single sin is always punished. God's justice is fulfilled. Now here's the point that should make you fall on your face in gratitude. Every sin that you do not get punished for, Jesus died for. The Lord has laid on him, what? The iniquity, the sin of us all. He was punished. He took the penalty in our place. But every sin is paid for. Perfect justice is always done in God's kingdom. And perfect justice demands payment in kind. Verse 7. This is still God's people praying to God for justice. To the degree that she, Babylon, glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her what? Torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow, and I will never see mourning. See, Babylon is filled with pride, and she's addicted to pleasure. It says she lives sensuously. The Greek word there for sensuously is a word picture of bulls, Bulls running wild. It has the idea of an unrestrained orgy of sex and an unrestrained orgy of materialism, right? Babylon has a both of those in spades. Babylon, the city, and Babylon, this, this system of, of religious and economic evil, believes that she's royalty. But what does she say about herself? I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, right? I will only experience royalty, and baby, I deserve it. My father told me years ago, never marry a woman whose father calls her princess. Chances are she believes it. <laughs> this one believes she's a queen. And she expects to be treated like it. Right? Many, many, many people in our culture. I don't know. I, I look at some of these bridezillas and I think, ooh, this queen business is pretty heavy duty stuff. So this city and this system thought they were immune from God's judgment. 
When someone says, I will never see mourning, you're telling God that you're immune from his judgment. God, I'm too big for you to take on. This was pretty true in her own mind because she was in bed with a beast. She was riding the beast. She was consorting with kings. Revelation 17, 18 tells us that this religious system we went over last week is reigning over the kings of the earth. And we certainly saw that during the medieval period of time when the papacy could actually rule kings by saying, you do it my way or I'm going to condemn you to hell. Unless you pay me the indulgences, right? So this system, this Babylonian system was so stuck up, her nose was so high in the air she could drown in a rainstorm. That's an old phrase for those of you that haven't been around for a while. <clears throat> Proverbs 16, 18 states a principle that I think it's good for us to remember. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, right? Underline the word before. Now, Daniel 5 records that Babylon had already fallen to the Medo-Persian Empire on August, or October 11, 589, by Cyrus, Cyrus invaded them. Cyrus was the Persian king. Get the picture. The city of Babylon has got walls that are about 100 feet high, and they're so wide you could run two chariot races across the top of these walls. They're very, very high. The Persian army has already laid siege to the city, and they've been there for months. King Belshazzar in Daniel 5 is so confident of Babylon's 100-foot high walls that he throws a multi-day drinking party for a thousand of his lords and everybody else. The Persian army, not being stupid, they divert the Euphrates River, which ran underneath Babylon's walls, and they enter the city through the riverbed. No one even challenges them because everyone's at the party and everybody's loaded. Literally, the entire city is having this three-day festival. They captured the city without a fight. No one was standing guard because they were all at the party. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 gives us a little frame of reference there. It says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If your nose is in the air that you can drown in the rainstorm, you're probably not watching where your feet are going, right? That's when you trip. The truth is, no one lives independently from God. Our next breath is a gift, and we need to remember that. Verse 8, For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. So Babylon is being judged for her pride, her arrogance. And the emphasis is here on the suddenness of the judgment and the severity of the judgment. God has already brought seven bold judgments, remember, in, in chapter 16, to bring judgment on the world, and Babylon was certainly a part of that. Remember, we have malignant sores that came from God. The ocean was made blood, toxic. Fresh water was made toxic. The sun turned the heat up, whether we lost the ozone layer or not, but scorching heat came on mankind. Complete darkness, the Euphrates River dried up, and we had a worldwide earthquake that shattered the mountains and the islands as well. It says here that Babylon's gonna experience famine, which means starvation, and a contagious epidemic known as pestilence, and there is even more deaths. But Babylon is ultimately not judged by the earthquake. What's it say the next phrase? She will be burned up with fire, right? So apparently the earthquake that levels the rest of the planet spares two cities. 
It spares Babylon because she's reserved for God's fire, and it spares Jerusalem because Jerusalem is going to be the capital city of Jesus Christ during the millennium. So these two cities have not been flattened by an earthquake. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and this city is reserved for fire. Now it seems as though when you look at the timeline of this, we have the final earthquake, right? And there's apparently a period of time between that and God's fire or God's holocaust on Babylon. It's also interesting when you read the summary verses here coming up, it sounds like Babylon's destroyed in one fireball and it seems clear that the Antichrist and the false prophet are not in Babylon, they're probably in Israel getting ready for the Battle of Armageddon. So they're not on site because we know that they're at the Battle of Armageddon. We'll find that out in chapter 19. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. We're going to see three groups of people who live on earth that are weeping and wailing and lamenting and mourning over the destruction of Babylon. They're kings, political leaders, they're merchants, and their shippers transport people involved in international trade. Here's the principle. <clears throat> since, on, since the earth and everyone in it, which would include you and me, has an expiration date, yeah, you, you two will expire, right? right? Live for eternity. Live for eternity. Your value should be eternal. Now, the kings, these political leaders, we know there's at least 10 that are in alignment with the Antichrist, have undoubtedly been watching the news on CNN for an update. All of a sudden, there's this huge fireball that engulfs the city of Babylon. And a mushroom cloud rises over the area, and they literally see the capital city of the world, the capital city of the Antichrist, being incinerated. It's the financial center, it's the commercial center, it's the political center, and is destroyed in one hour. Like that. Now, all these kings, you have to understand, have made political alliances, economic alliances, uh, military alliances, the Antichrist. And up until now, all the political leaders on planet Earth, their hope is in the power of the Antichrist. All of that has gone up in smoke. So it's not just the city that's destroyed. Their future is destroyed. Now, remember, these kings and everyone on Earth is worshiping who? The Antichrist. Their earthly hopes are on the Antichrist, but it's far more serious than that. They've placed their eternal hopes on the Antichrist as well. See, if the Antichrist and Satan, the dragon, are unable to withstand God's judgment, where's their future? The lake of fire. They know that. So they're mourning a lot more than just the destruction of a city. If the city, the capital city of the Antichrist, is not immune from God's judgment and Antichrist is not strong enough to prevent this city from being destroyed, that means their future coming up at the, at the uh, Battle of Armageddon is also destroyed. And we find out that sure, sure enough, that's right. So they've got an impending battle with God at Armageddon and they have bet their eternal souls that Satan's going to win that battle and it's real clear here he's not. So when you look at these people weeping and wailing and throwing dust on their head, it's a lot more than just, oh my goodness, the capital C, the world went up in smoke. They know that their future is gone. Gone. They bet on, they wagered and lost, and they're going to face God, their judge. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth 
weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Here's the principle. The seduction of stuff is subtle. I was going to say a lot of other things about that and Marin restrained me. <laughs> Use things and love people, not vice versa. Now these merchants are wailing over their lost revenue. These are captains of industry and finance and shipping and trade. The word for merchants here means wholesalers. These are not retailers. These are people that buy blocks of goods, fill a ship with them and ship them around the world at that point. They've got global trade agreements, etc. And they're not crying over their lost souls. They're not crying over their sins. They're not crying over the dead people in Babylon. They're crying over their financial losses. There's no ones to buy their merchandise. They're out of business. Their priorities are profits. Their focus is finance. They covet cash and they magnify mammon. It sounds like today, right? Interesting that we have two verses here that give us a list of the stuff that they trade. Verse 12 and verse 13. Henry Morris notes there are 28 separate items there and there are seven different categories. Verse 12 talks about gold and silver and precious stones and pearls. These are items of timeless value that you use in perilous times. Then we have fine clothing. We have two sets of clothing. We have, we have linen and we have silk and we've got two very expensive colors, purple and scarlet. So this is luxury stuff, folks. They talk next about valuable materials. You have citron wood. Citron wood is a very dark wood. It's a very aromatic wood. And the, they love to build cabinetry out of this kind of wood. It says every article of ivory and costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. See, in that day, you'd make furnishings out of wood, ivory and marble. You'd make ornaments and vessels out of and iron and bronze. You'd make structures and weapons and tools. So this was valuable trade items. Next are luxury items they use for import and export, cinnamon and spice and all things nice. <clears throat> I'm sorry, it doesn't say that, does it? It says incense and perfume and, perfume and frank incense. Uh, see, spices were used for cooking. Perfer perfumes were used for romancing. And frankincense was used for burying. So they went from beginning to end. Actually, frankincense was a deodorant. It's a great deodorant both for the living and for the dead. It covers up bad odors pretty well. So then we get to valuable food commodities. We've got wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat. So wine, all the intoxicants, intoxicating substance. You know, one of the things I'm fairly convinced, often in Revelation, during these plagues, you'll see the word sorcery. That's, that's a code word for drug use, alcohol use. Can you imagine the amount of addiction that's going on at this period of time? Your world is falling apart. The world is literally going to hell in a handbasket. People are terrified out of their mind. And if you're going to use pharmacia, pharmacy, this is going to be the time. And scripture indicates that it's going to be rampant. Wine's going to be very valuable. If you do this olive oil, of course, for cooking and fine, wow, fine flour, the same thing. Cattle and sheep use cattle, beasts of burden, meat, sheep for wool or meat, and horses, of course, for transport. Interesting, this word chariots. This word chariots doesn't mean a two-wheeled military chariot. It means a four-wheeled transport wagon. It could be talking about the automobile industry very easily, or the truck industry. Remember, this is future, okay? Lastly and sadly comes the last thing they trade in is human trafficking, and it's the evil of slavery. It says in slaves and human lives. The Greek word here is soma. Soma means body and most likely includes forced prostitution. And this is tragic beyond words, but even today in our wicked culture, 
Unfortunately and sadly, the sex trade is very, very lucrative financially. Babylon is the mother of harlots by every definition of the word. And as Barbara pointed out today, slavery of every kind is evil because every human being is made in God's image and therefore every living soul belongs to God by right of creation. Psalm 103 verse 3, write this one down. Psalm 103 verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Anyone involved in human trafficking is a slave trader who is literally taking God's place. They are playing God. They're abusing infinitely precious people for whom Christ, whom Christ created and for whom Christ died. You want to know why this system had to be destroyed? You got a list, right? This is one of them. Now, there's the third class of people that are in mourning over the destruction of this system, and it's the salesmen and the distributors and the people in transportation. Verse 17, it says, Every shipmaster, every passenger and sailor, and as many make their living by the sea, stood at a distance, and they were crying out as they saw the smoke of a burning, saying, What city is like the great city? Interesting. I grew up in Modesto, California, and we never called it San Francisco. We called it the city. It's interesting that they say the great city. It's probably so well known they don't even use the name. The great city obviously was code for, they must be talking about Babylon, right? right? Just a thought. It says these people threw dust on their heads, which was mourning, and they were crying out and weeping and mourning. I mean, this is unrestrained grief, and they were saying, whoa, whoa, the great city, in which all who had ships at sea, underline these two words, became rich by her wealth. You want to know what motivated them? It wasn't the people in the city. It was the wealth they made by bringing all this luxury stuff to the city. You want to know what Babylon was like? It was consumed with materialism. It was addicted to luxury. And we just saw a list of all the cargoes that were brought to this city. All the cargoes that these ship people got wealthy bringing to Babylon. So you have a little picture of what Babylon's like. Very, very luxury-oriented, very, very sensuously-oriented. I bet there was a lot of Prada in that city. A lot. I'm not saying Prada's bad, okay? It's good stuff. It's just very expensive stuff, right? Okay. So there's no sorrow here of their sin. There's no thought of God. There's no sorrow over their eternal future. In this case, it's all about the money. Show me the money. And when the money's gone, they're in, in mourning. Now... This is the three people, the three classes of people that are in mourning over this loss. The kings of the earth who are in bed with the Antichrist, the merchants who are getting rich, and the shippers. Now you want to know how heaven feels about Babylon's destruction? Read verse 20. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment against her. And a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Here's a principle that we in our culture don't understand. God's destruction of evil is just. God's destruction of evil is worthy of celebration, right? We in this culture are so relative in our moral framework that everybody's point of view is considered equal. 
You know, we've thrown out scripture as a standard of judgment. So everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And therefore, everybody's opinion has equal weight. And therefore, if somebody is destroyed because of sin, we don't regard that as a good thing. Well, apparently heaven does. Right? Just saying. When Babylon is forever destroyed, the wicked on earth mourn and the righteous in heaven rejoice. Because God's justice is now vindicated. God's saints and apostles and prophets, those listed here, have suffered for centuries at the hands of satanic persecution, and they're now vindicated because God meets out judgment. When God balances the books, if you will, perfect justice will be done, and God's saints and apostles and prophets are going to be vindicated. Now, verse 23 tells you the extent of the destruction. How bad is it going to be? Well, when you read this, there's not much left. Verse 22. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. Underline any longer. And no craftsman or any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. There's no more music, there's no entertainment. There's no more artisans, there's no more industry, there's no more craft. A mill is a grain mill. There's no more food production. There's nobody to eat it. Nobody's, it's uninhabited, right? There's no more light, only darkness. There's no more family life. There's no weddings. There's no happiness. There's only destruction and desertion. No one in Babylon is exempt from God's judgment. The entire place is going to be incinerated. Now, verse 23 and 24 kind of summarize the whole chapter, and they give us two, two reasons why God judges Babylon to this extent. It says, number one, well, actually, one and two, these first two are together. For your merchants were the great men of earth. We've already found out that they worshipped materialism instead of God. More stuff was better at any price. And number two, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Satan has been using the Babylonian system of false religion, of evolutionary humanism, of man the center, not God, and has deceived every nation on earth. It's interesting that every world religion, with the exception of Christianity, exalts man and not God. Every world religion, with the exception of Christianity, says that you are saved, you are made right with God based on your works, not the grace of God. Only Christianity talks about God coming to man. Every other world religion says, man, you have to earn your way to God. That's a lie. It's a lie. And Satan knows it'll get you in hell. Of course he's going to promote it. God is furious with this, and his patience is now done. The day of grace is over. And judgments follows. God knows that no one else is going to come to salvation at this point in time. So he's going to bring judgment at that point in time. It also says that they, we talked about sorcery, right? Sorcery means pharmakia. That's the Greek word. Obviously, we get pharmacy from that. It always involves drug use. It always involves magic spells, astrology, enchantments, mediums, etc. So it is demonic from the scratch. Now, verse 24 the final reason why God judges Babylon and this evil religious political system is because not only did Babylon lead people into worshiping false gods, they killed 
the people who are worshiping the true God. Verse 24. And in her, in the city of Babylon, was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all who had been slain on the earth. See, Babylon's not only the mother of harlots, she's the mother of murderers. God is going to destroy her. Now, this kind of brings us to the end of the significant period of judgment from chapter 6 all the way through chapter 18. We're seeing how God's judgment to purify the earth, to actually to cleanse the earth from evil and to deal with wickedness and wicked ones is preparing the planet for his return. And of course, chapter 19, Lord willing, will be in next week, is going to talk about the second advent of Christ. When he comes back, what's going to happen? What will he do at the last... 19, 20, 21, and 22 are all about the new order, and we're going to be there for a few months, Lord willing. Here's the key idea for today. Pride deceives you into believing that you can live independently from God. You know the biggest problem with pride? It's, it's believing that we don't have it. Who me? I'm humble. Ah, uh, you were. You just lost it, right? Pride goes before a fall. Many people do not know they're proud until they fall. One of the beauties of Scripture is that it can warn us up front. It says, walk in humility with me. Walk with me by faith instead of trusting in your own good works. So pride deceives you into believing you can live independently from God. The truth of it is every single one of us is dependent on God for every single minute of our lives. Secondly, don't live like the world. The world is following a deceptive direction to a disastrous destination. Number three, since earth and everything in it has an expiration date, live for eternity. That's where our value should be. We're not here long. Number four, the seduction of stuff is subtle. And in the United States, the seduction of stuff isn't even subtle. It's in your face, right? Everything is advertised. Your life will not work until you buy my stuff. And the truth of it is, most of our homes are plugged up with stuff. That's the nature of the American dream at that point in time. Stuff isn't bad. Stuff is just neutral. It's the attitude of our heart toward it. That's the key. Don't go home and say, my stuff is evil. Your stuff is just neutral. You're supposed to use it. But the attitude of your heart, monitor it. Do I believe I have to have it to have a fulfilled life? Or is Jesus my way, my truth, my life? Lastly, God's destruction of evil is just and is worthy of celebration. He is coming back. We're going to find that next week. And he will set things right. And the really good news is you know him today. So in the middle of this system that is falling apart, this evil system, we can have peace and power. And God wants us to be salt and light on planet Earth. Amen? Okay. I do love you. Now that you know, go and do.